All right, folks, welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast. We've got some superstar whiskey entrepreneurs in the house today. Very good friends of Daz and I, Tristan Stevenson and Tom Ask. Gents, welcome to the show. Nice to, nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on, Mitch and Daz. I like, Pleasure to I like be the here. delay there, boys. It was kind of like, oh, we're on the show? What's going on here? <laughs> I was, saying that Tom was gonna, I was saying that Tom was going to say thank you first, or whether it was me. And right. as you can see, we just almost interrupted each other then. So that's, that's how in tune with one another we are these days. Yeah, a bit, a bit the the joys of Zoom, practice. right? It's always hard on Zoom. Um, so guys who are listening, if you haven't heard of Tristan and Tom yet, <clears throat> absolute superstars. Uh, they, Tristan is a well-accomplished author now, I'd say, right, Tristan? How many books we got going on? Eight? uh eight seems to be nine yeah seems yeah. to be nine mate absolutely mm. amazing um unbelievable bartenders won several competitions still are judges within competitions as well uh used to be brand ambassadors along with daz and i back in uh, our diageo days owners of some of the most famous bars round about london uh so i think you guys are now on your let me do the maths on this for seventh bar maybe is, am I right in saying that? I think it might be a little bit more than that, but it's difficult to say. Some of them didn't last very long, um, so it's a good debate whether they even count, but I think it's more like nine or ten, isn't it, Tom? Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, it must be. I think it must be, yeah. Like you say, we, we tend to open and close them pretty rapidly, so... Which is a good way to be. Lost count. <laughs> but, I mean, let's talk about what you have right now. I mean, the, the big one that you guys have that is absolutely cranking is BlackRock, right? Let's talk about BlackRock for a second. Anyone who hasn't been to BlackRock, explain exactly what it is. Uh, well, I mean, BlackRock, basically, um, as you've said, it's a whiskey bar. It's primarily whiskey-focused. In fact, it's almost exclusively whiskey-focused, really, with a small sort of uh, small selection of beers to go alongside it. And we... We, we really set it up effectively to simplify the category or to be like a gateway to the category of whiskey, um, to be honest. And, you know, as you were talking about, going back to the days where we, we all worked at Diageo and you could see that, you know, there was, a, there was an, increasing, an increasing interest in whiskey, but there was also a lot of barriers to getting into it for new consumers and people that want to start their journey. Um, you know, and all, all the traditional ones that we know about now, you know, understanding flavor price is always a tricky one in traditional bars you know the the sort of um the sort of stereotypes that go around with whiskey bars you know the the sort of tartan bagpipe log fire very sort of traditional careful, Scottish careful. he's theater. scottish remember <laughs> nothing wrong nothing wrong nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that i'll come down but, there in a heartbeat we, yeah. and mess you up <laughs> yes, Exactly. So, but no, we, we, we just wanted to approach it with a, in a different way. Um, you know, take all of these, take all these barrels and try and break them down, really. Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, starting mainly with focusing on flavour and how the, you know, how the whiskies were presented in the bar to simplify, you know, what they actually taste like for people. Um, and, in you know, go on, Tris. Yeah, no, exactly. That was the main focus, really. It was how do we... Um almost make the whiskey buying process easier for consumers. And it wasn't just for people that don't know anything about whiskey, but even, you know, connoisseurs, people like yourself, Mitch, you know, you're certainly one of the people we thought about when we were designing Black Rock. How would, what would Mitch do? And you does, like if they came in, what would their experience be? Because if you go, if you think about, 
what a traditional whiskey bar looks like. It tends to just be a wall of bottles. And it's quite intimidating, even when you know what you're doing around that wall of bottles, right? It's separated by country, um, region, distillery, typically. Um, but what use is that other than a sort of, you know, decent way to stock take, you know? Oh, cool. I've got all my Highland Parks in one place. That's easy to count up. You know, it's no use to the consumer whatsoever. So you require a bartender who's really knowledgeable and very personable in order to um, assist the customer in deciding what it is they want to drink. And we just thought that the arrangement of whiskey in a bar can work a lot harder to aid the consumer. And so there are a few things that we do with Black Rock that sort of challenge convention, but I think the main one is by is separating whiskey by flavor and arranging it into six different flavor groups, smoke, sweet, spice, fruity, fragrance, and balance. Yeah. That's one of the things that really stuck out with me, that cabinet that you have that explains everything really well. The other thing that, that stuck in my memory on my first visit was the bartender who made me a Iron Brew Reduction Talisker cocktail. And the third thing was that amazing table that you guys have where you serve your house whiskey. Let's chat about that for a second before we move on to, to Whiskey Me, which I know you guys are focusing on right now, and that's what this, this whole uh, episode is around. So let's talk about this big tree trunk you have essentially sitting in the middle of the bar uh, at Blackrock. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> there's one thing for sure, that it's never leaving that property, even if we have to <laughs> at some point. I can tell you that much. I think it weighs about three, well, it's like two and a half tonnes. But, I mean... The thing about the table was that it, it served many different purposes for us in, in, you know, what our objective was to try and educate people about whiskey and simplify it. And, I mean, the idea primarily came out of a collaboration with um, a guy called Rob Sumner, who uh, runs a company now called Soak. And we'd, we'd been doing some work with him on some other projects. And we obviously mentioned that we're opening Black Rock and we started discussing the potential for certain um, you know, sort of furniture or things that would sh showcase whiskey and collaboratively came up with the idea of having this English oak tree um, as the centrepiece within the bar. Because as you, as you know, you've been there, such a small space that you've got to really, you know, you've got to really manage effectively the capacity. And it ticked loads of boxes by having this centrepiece that we could get 20 different people sat around. It acted as a communal table, meaning that people, you know, <laughs> obviously pre-COVID, you know, would communicate with each other out of separate groups of people around whiskey because they're all quite closely sat together. And the other thing was, you know, really to, to just go, well, actually, you know, when we talk about aging whiskey, you know, really focusing on, on a sort of novice perspective, really, what does it actually even mean? You know, what is it? What is whiskey actually aged in or often aged in? And to have a, a huge 20 foot long oak tree kind of <laughs> symbolized, well, actually, yeah, it's aged in oak. And, um, you know, the two, the two channels that we've got, for anyone that uh, isn't familiar with Black Rock, we've basically got two channels carved into the table that run the length of them, one of which is lined with American oak um, or charred American oak, and the other lined with um, European oak, French oak. And so, you know, again, it just showcases, so, well, actually, what's the difference between the, these two different materials that are used to age whiskey and to have a physical example of it in front of guests as they're sat there? Um, and of course, it, you know, obviously it, it looks beautiful. Um, and secondly, pretty much everybody that goes in there will try something out of that table just because of the very nature of how, how stunning it is as a centerpiece, you know? I've seen so, the pictures of you guys pouring all the whiskey into that as well. It's uh, yeah. brilliant to see. 
the, yeah. the other thing that I think we'd both admit to about the table is that it was somewhat of a lure to get people in as well. It was probably the most photogenic element of the bar design. And it was, you know, especially at the time of opening, really talked about a lot. And it got people into the bar who had no interest in whiskey whatsoever. But of course, once we got them in, we could then kind of throw at them everything else that we'd done really, um, you know, in order to try and promote whiskey and its flavor and its you know diversity and its mixability and all that sort of stuff. And then hopefully, you know, convert some people um, while they were there. So yeah, it was, it was to some extent, this kind of like um, centerpiece or stooge or something that was there to just kind of attract people, anyone, you know? Yeah. And and now you guys are, are taking over the world, right? I mean, that's two of them in London and you just opened up Shanghai or it's about to open up. Yeah. Oh, it did open no, up. It's open, yeah, it's open. Unfortunately, we haven't, we haven't been, we haven't been able to get out there because of COVID restrictions. But, but yeah, no, I mean, we've had, um, no, we've had ups and downs, really. I mean, we obviously, we, I think I mentioned to you before, Mitch, we had to close the site in Bristol during COVID. We had a Black Rock in Bristol, which... We couldn't keep hold of, but on the flip side, we managed to open another Black Rock over at East India Docks, um, you know, over near Canary Wharf. And in the process of that, yeah, we, we were discussing with our partners in, in China, we were discussing this with them way before COVID. I think probably going back to like 2018, we were having first discussions and it was all it was all set up and ready to go. And then effectively was put on a back burner because of what happened with COVID. Um, for the best part of two years and just got reinvigorated you know probably six to eight months ago um, and yeah we've I mean we've actually got a you know a multi-site a multi-site license deal basically partnership to open five sites over the next well six sites in the next five years in China um, with our partners so yeah I mean it's obviously incredibly exciting I'm just looking forward to being able to get over there and actually <laughs> enjoy it and see it uh, Glenn Turret just got awarded their Michelin star. Um, mm, so that's really cool, cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Really cool. And one of the things that always bugged me about distilleries was they're the worst places to go for drinks most of the time. They all like they've never got good bars. Uh, they're just not set up for it. Do you know what I mean? Has a distillery ever come to you and said, "Guys, come and open a Black Rock at our distillery"? Not yet. No, no. not yet. No, cool, they haven't. It? But it's a good idea. Um, yeah, the let's not like put you're this absolutely... in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, I think it's it's improved a lot, has changed. And actually, if you go to distillery bars in the US, they know how to open a distillery bar. Like, because I, I guess because they're just like they, like, they really like drinking over there. Mind you, Scottish people like drinking. But um, distillery bars in the UK on the whole are way over lit. They're sort of like what somewhat, it's like what a designer thinks a bar should look like in the future. That's what they tend to look like. Yeah, you know, and they're the closest, just. I mean, really... even even the Johnny Walker experience. I've, I've I like it. I've, I've been up. It's great, uh, but it looks exactly like a designer has designed it and has no idea how to create an atmosphere. Do you know what I mean? I think part of the. I mean, I might be wrong here, but I'd imagine that part of the part of the issue with it is that within distilleries, it's a very different drinking experience, isn't it? Or an, a dr very different drinking occasion to a bar specifically. In that, I don't. To my knowledge, at least, I don't believe that even the bars within distilleries, for example, will be staying open in the evenings to accommodate guests, which they should, really. Um, I mean, if you think about, God, you imagine, you think about somewhere like Speyside alone or certain parts of Speyside, if each of those distilleries actually had a, a, a functioning bar in them that opened past 
five or six o'clock, you know, I think it would do wonders generally for sort of the tourism around, you know, people actually just going out and drinking within yeah. the distillery bars. What about um, somewhere yeah. like o- Oban, you know, where it's right in the middle of the village? The, well, the village is literally thing, isn't it? named after the distillery, right? So it's like yeah. somewhere like that, it would work. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I think that's why a lot of the US distilleries have got great bars because they tend to be um, in in like urban areas, right? And so it's a place you can legitimately go out to and actually drink all evening and then go back get a taxi back home. Whereas, of course, in Scotland, most of the distilleries are pretty remote, aren't they? Yeah. So what we've established from this is you guys aren't going to open a Black Rock in Speyside in a distillery, is that right? I'd be be totally down for that since I go up there all the time. We saw, saw, um, I think it was recently that the the Fiddick side was back for sale again. And um, yeah, Tristan, Tristan did send jokingly, I'm assuming jokingly, that imagine a black rock there, which obviously would go completely against what the Fiddick side is. But the, the concept of having a black rock in, you know, like the home of Scotch whiskey would be, you know, be an interesting. All right. So let's let's move away from the bars for a second. Let's get on to what we're chatting about on this episode, which is whiskey subscriptions and, and, and whiskey me with you guys, which has been an incredibly successful concept. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've seen this from you guys starting this up uh, from the vending machines that, that you had with it, which is absolutely insane to see. And then the, the most incredible thing was one night sitting in my house, watching you guys on Dragon's Den, get all four dragons on board for Whiskey Me, which is, if anyone hasn't seen this before, go back and watch that episode. Let's talk about exactly wait, what wait, Whiskey wait. Me Let's, is. Uh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. We've got three dragons. Um, got four? No, well, yeah. no, four, three. Um, I mean, yeah, we could just go with four. Should we just go Let's with that? Go with four. <laughs> That's a good headline. That's a good headline. Yeah. <laughs> no, we got three, which, I, which doesn't happen very often, it has to be said, but it, we're not the first. Tristan, have you not learned from your, your ambassador days? Don't don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, right? Yeah. All right, we'll edit that out now. We probably won't because I can't be arsed. Um, so no, don't worry about let's, it. Leave it in. Let's chat about Whiskey Me, guys. How, how did this whole idea come around? Well, it was off the back of Black Rock, uh, for sure. And, I mean, Tom was the one that was really pushing it to begin with. I think he, uh, uh, I was, you know, he was, he was the one like, you know, I really think there's an at-home opportunity and we, I think he'd been banging on about it for a good year or two before we made any kind of decision to push it forward. And even when we did, it was mostly Tom that was pushing it forward. It has to be said. So kudos to him. The, the, to be honest, the, the, the main, uh, one of the biggest reasons was because there were a couple of things that happened really, which put on the map for me that subscription models were coming back in a big way. Uh, across the board and you've seen it you know you see it across everything now from dog food to you know fruit and vegetables everything you can subscribe to but one of the biggest things was that it was the acquisition of one dollar shave club for a billion pounds in cash by um unilever and you know a company that was sending out razors on a monthly basis was bought by this huge organization for such an astronomical amount of money that was like god something's shifting here and I think the way that people are, you know, the way the, the way that people are purchasing nowadays is so different, I think, and is moving quite rapidly. Now, you know, as we know, subscriptions have been around for decades, um, you know, from milk deliveries to magazines. Um, but it just kind of made me think, well, actually, we should probably get on this now. And we weren't, you know, we weren't the first either. There were there were obviously I think Craft Gin Club were there and, and you know doing their thing, and but it just made sense. Um, 
and the bit you know I, I, I do tend to talk a lot so stop me at any point but I think the biggest point of difference for us was where we positioned it we positioned it at such an accessible price point but offered but were able to offer such amazing whiskey basically because of the packaging because of the pouch which compared to you know a lot of our competitors even now who are sending in glass you know to send in glass means that you've got to put it into some quite robust outer packaging which then changes the shipping costs from 90 pence to three pound 90 pence and all of a sudden you know your membership has to cost you 20 quid a month or 30 quid a month versus 7.95 and so we, we actually just stumbled across the packaging and all of the all of the sort of costs was my idea yeah well well yeah we, we actually we we, we um we found you, you stumbled across it i formulated <laughs> we, it very cleverly over yeah. a period of weeks and months. Yeah, <laughs> I created the master plan. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. I think I um, think we might have a, a like work wife fight live on the uh, on the podcast. Here. No, no, no. I, I can have that one. Um, but yeah, it was um, yeah that 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 was that really. It was a case of going right. Let's get let's get whiskey into people's homes in a, a very affordable way. And again, we priced it specifically alongside the same price as the Netflix subscription because it just felt like the right sort of level that. You know, don't get me wrong, not everybody can afford $7.95 a month, but a lot of people can. And it's an amount of money that would, we thought, would, would entice a lot of people to at least try it if they have any interest in whiskey at all, uh, versus a commitment of $29.99 a month or, you know, even more, some subscriptions are. Is It takes a bit more thought. Um, and so we thought, right, we'll go in at $7.95, which will allow us to basically... St- um, send our members whiskies that normally retail anywhere from fifty pounds upwards a bottle, which again was the it was the perfect price point to just be uncomfortable enough for certain people to take a risk on a bottle. You know, when you go into a whiskey shop and you go right, well, if I spend fifty quid on this and I don't like it, that's a, you know it's not twenty quid, is it? It just feels different. Um, but yeah. we've you know we've sent we've sent whiskies. We we sent out Glen Farkless twenty five last year, which was retailing at the time over hundred quid a bottle. Um, also, also that price point, like sort of around fifty plus, it not to take away anything from the whiskies that you find in supermarkets because you can certainly find great whiskies in supermarkets, but it tended to put us above that supermarket level, and that meant that people are receiving whiskies that they're not necessarily familiar with unless they visit whiskey shops, wine shops, or online whiskey retailers. And so that meant the whole sort of club experience felt that little bit more exclusive. You're getting introduced to stuff that's not normal, you know, not, yeah. not, not normal. It's not that it's not normal. It's that it's not usual, it's not typical. Yeah, yeah but I kind of always sort of said to people, it's more like the B-sides, you know, it's your... Yeah, that, that is not the first whiskey that anyone's going to buy. Usually it'll be something you'd have to discover. Right. Quick fire question. Just while we're talking about subscriptions. Right. What's the shittest subscription you reckon you've ever had? <laughs> um, I, I, I haven't actually had that many subscriptions. The, the only ones I think that I've actually subscribed to. I had a tea subscription for a while. A um, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah which was that sounds good. Yeah, which it was. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. But I just sort of, I don't know, I, I just kind of got a bit bored with it. I didn't really have that much of a passion for it where I was like, eh, well, yeah. Why the, why the hell did you fucking subscribe to it then? Well, <laughs> at, the, well at, the, at the time that I subscribed, um, I, was, I was doing some, I was, it was at a time I was doing some work for Marriott and we were developing stuff around tea and I got an interest in it through visiting um, newbie teas. 
in London. Anyway, Thanks, that was Tom. Like, this is a really shit story, Tristan. Yeah, yeah, that's no, anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 um, well, my, uh, do you know what? I haven't had a bad pr product as such on a subscription, but the worst, one of the worst subscription experiences I had was I subscribed to New Scientist magazine because I like of science. You did. <laughs> and yeah, and it's a, by the way, it's a great magazine. Like it's full of incredibly interesting stuff. The one problem is they send you a new magazine every week. Mm. Okay. Oh. And there's just no way you can consume it unless you're retired. You don't stand a chance of being able to consume it all because it's like reading a book in a week. And these th fucking things are just stacking up. And I was like, Jesus. And it became extremely stressful because I was like, I've read like two pages of that one, zero of that. And I've got three more that I haven't even unwrapped from the fucking packaging. <laughs> and so I unsubscribed. What's, you know, when you started off Whiskey Me, right? You started in these, these plastic pouches. The, I know whiskey drinkers. There must've been some kind of pushback on that. What, what was the best story nah, from that? None, none. Bollocks. <laughs> everyone, everyone loved it. Everyone embraced it. Next Open question. Up. <laughs> uh, no i mean we got look the thing the thing was for us you know it meant that people were talking about it and i think the tricky thing is of course the sustainability angle and and from from one side uh but also you know the, i guess whatever you want to call whiskey purists who didn't like to see specifically single malt whiskey in pouches just but you know mainly just because it had never been done before um, and the fact of the matter was that it was, you know, it wasn't affect, it doesn't affect the flavor of the whiskey. It's just a very neat, inexpensive way of transporting it. And, you know, it got people talking, which is what we needed for a new company that basically had no traction, no money and no members at the time. So we ended up, you know, we ended up on like a, a Fox News affiliate channel in the States just because of the pouch, because nobody had seen whiskey put in pouches before. But no, we, we took a bit of a hammer in and we still do, to be honest with you. Like even now when we're doing, you know, some of our advertising that we do, obviously paid advertising and stuff, which can be, you know, seen by a fair few people. Obviously we still get comments from people that are like, it's disgusting, you know, whiskey shouldn't be in a pouch, but all the information's there to see. It's just that people don't tend to want to have to read up or understand. They would much rather make passing comment without fully understanding a the sustainability angle b the fact that it's flavor inert and all, all of the positive reasons why we do it you know? absolutely yeah i think you know, and you guys think, you guys are mixing up the category as well which is great so there's you know there's the type of consumer that believes whiskey should be in sort of super premium packaging all the time and all that kind of thing and that really just it kind of goes against the whole philosophy in that it does it taste good what does it taste like is it do you enjoy it you know and, and the packaging shouldn't really factor into that too much as long as it's, you know, not busted or broken or looks, you know, crap. Um, and then the final thing is the, is the material and the sustainability side of it. And to that, you know, there's a couple of things. First of all, you know, a, a lot of glass bottles get shipped in bubble wrap, which is still plastic, um, or huge amounts of cardboard and the glass and the plastic lids. Um, and the second thing is that, that we recycle the pouches and we reward our members for sending them back to us. So we just tell, the, tell all of our members, every 12 pouches you collect, send them back to us, which is going to cost you, you know, the price of a stamp. And we will send you a free pouch of whiskey to reward you. And then we send them on for recycling. So it can be entirely guilt-free, you know, um, and all the benefit of that, of that uh, lightweight um, envelope-friendly packaging that goes straight through your door. And... You know, the other thing is, because it fits through the letterbox, you don't have to, like, go to the Royal Mail collection office or whatever on a fucking Saturday. 
to collect your one pouch of whiskey um this one goes straight to the letterbox and that you know <laughs> that's a wonderful thing uh in in the world we live in now where you're constantly stressing about has this thing been delivered where have they left it is it at the bloody you know delivery routing office yeah. Round over. that's true no, but I, I, I say that i mean ultimately right the priority is flavor it should be and it's as simple as that shouldn't it you you know yeah less concerned about what you're receiving it in, more concerned about actually do I enjoy it is the whole point, isn't it? Like said. And actually, I have a pouch of uh, Macallan um, from our first ever drop. We might have pulled a couple of uh, favours for that. I was, particular... you know, was going to bring that up. We got in trouble for that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got in trouble for that. I, I um, didn't. So I didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> you should have been the one that got in trouble. Um, what's, what's, so... what's funny about it was it was the very first one a, it was a bit of a grey area, it seemed afterwards, as to whether we were actually allowed to do it. And B, it was the only one where we were actually allowed to fly a drone around the still house, which was bizarre. Well, the funny <laughs> thing was... was mental. It, it would have been... <laughs> it, honestly, it would have been one of the very last tours of oh, the old McAllen distillery. Mm, and the yeah. reason why we got away with it is because I was leaving. And mm. <laughs> we had, uh, had special permission... Um, and McCallum was great back then because the guys, the distillery team, Russell Anderson and Bob Delgarno was the whiskey maker. These guys were fabulous. You know, they were always brilliant with me. And um, yeah, we, we kind of did, didn't get proper permission, but we got some form of permission that was required. Yeah. Do you remember we sat in that office for about an hour going yeah. over forms and shit like that. And yeah. then after it was all signed and everyone was happy, we then went and flew a freaking drone <laughs> under the line arms in the still house with no, no supervision other than you, Daz. Well, here's the thing, right? Because it was it was strange, wasn't it? It was like a Bond movie. Like as soon as we went into the stillhouse, people just started to disappear. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's going to happen now? Do you know what I mean? So, so let me ask you this. So, going back to the Dragon's Den thing, <laughs> since that happened, have you had a lot more distilleries approaching you, wanting to get into whiskey? Me. Yeah, I mean, we, it's it's funny. It's completely changed the entire business. In, in many ways, in a lot of ways, really. Um, I mean, there was there was a growing acceptance of repackaging in packs from a lot of distilleries, but it was really sort of, uh, it turned everything on its head from there. I mean, we've, we've managed to book up the entirety of 2022 already, for example, and we've got a backlog of probably another 15 or 18 distilleries that want to feature that I'm putting off, basically got to put off until 2023. So, you know, it's picked up, picked up some pace and and so, yeah, no, off the back of that, we got a lot of emails from distilleries. Um, and the, the other thing about that was that at the exact same time as launching, uh, sorry, at the exact same time as being on Dragon's Den, we also launched a separate SKU, which was for World Whiskey as well. So prior to that, we only had one product that we sent out, which was single malt scotch. That was it. And so it opened a huge amount of doors to broaden, you know, broaden into World Whiskies. And so, yeah, we had emails from tons of people, uh, tons of distilleries. Question for, for both of you guys. We put on Instagram that we're going to be chatting with you guys tonight. And does anyone have any questions that they wanted to ask? Um, and there was a guy called Peter Jones who replied and he said, uh, <laughs> what's your favorite dragon to work with? So that was his, I don't know who Peter is, but he, he asked that question. Peter, Peter, would, Peter would never have asked that question because he knows how much we work with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think they all bring they all bring something different. Um, you know, if, if I'm being honest with you, the, the sort of direct contact 
with Peter Jones is probably the least. And I'd imagine, obviously, he's got, uh, you know, he's still got TV commitments and a lot on. I think, I think the most proactive is probably Deborah, I'd say, really, um, who is, you know, is, is, I guess, the one dragon where I would feel comfortable actually just picking up the phone, you know, at any point and, and having a conversation or a chat or asking questions. And she's very proactive as well in feedback. Um, so, no, I think, I think, you know, they all bring something new. I mean, Tej, obviously, he's got, um, you know, an absolutely enormous company that is shipping worldwide. So, you know, there's an element of that around the expertise in sort of marketing, really, and understanding, you know, understanding the sort of best methods to get to the right audiences. Um, but no, I think, I think Deborah's probably been the most proactive so far. The thing about Deborah is that she um, doesn't, basically, she gave up all of her sort of main business interests, I think, a few years ago. So all she does now is work with her investments through Dragonstone. So she's basically like a professional angel investor. Whereas, of course, well, Peter, first of all, I believe he's invested 140 plus companies through Dragon's Den. So you can't really expect him to be, uh, you know, interactive day to day with each of those companies. He has a whole team of people. And that, that... I mean, it's, I'm amazed that he asked that question on Instagram. Yeah, no, it's, How does he, must, he have the time? He's got more free time than I thought. Um, and that is, that's, that's, it's good of him to... Um... Yeah, he might actually jump in, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. should we call him now? Yeah, yeah, should we get him, once, get, yeah. get him on live? Yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tristan, so good to see you boys. Uh, great to hear everything's going so well uh, on Whiskey Me. And also good to get an update on Black Rock as well, mate. And the, the Shanghai story is a cool one. And I'll, I'll hear... I'll hear more about it when I see you boys in a few weeks, I'm sure. So um, what about Whiskey Me then? Tell uh, tell the listeners what they need to know. Uh, also, Chin Mitch, because he's not got a subscription. Solid mate, him, eh? <laughs> I don't either, actually. Mine yeah. ran out last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are no, we doing yeah. on this podcast? What do we get? Tom, what, why did you what make do we on this podcast? <laughs> I don't know. We probably get, probably get half a logo when we see him next. <laughs> and it'll be warm as well yeah it'll be warm yeah yeah exactly so um yeah whiskey me 7.95 a month go check it out www.whiskey-me.com drams delivered through your door on a monthly schedule single malt scotch whiskey and world whiskey there you go, there you, go. you know what to get me for christmas pal and you can see why tom crushed it on that dragon's den now <laughs> That's so good to see you boys. We'll catch yeah, up. You too, man. Take care. Yeah, guys. Yeah, thanks, well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us on.